0: Support for this podcast comes from our parents, who when we told them about this said, "Hmm, that's kind of a good idea." For microphones, which apparently cost only $43 online, and from tap water, New York's freshest, purest, and freest beverage. I'm Maeve and I'm
1: Julie, and this is Overwater.
0: That happens while chatting over water i'm sitting here with julie and true to our name we are currently sitting here sipping on water (laughs) we chilled in frosted mugs did you know that was a thing we did not if you want to try it it's actually
1: so delicious take a mug stick it in the freezer for about an hour and then pull that puppy out and pour some water in it we learned this trick from today's guest who you'll hear from about in about a second First, we just wanted to say yay and thank Woo! you for
0: joining us. Yay for our inaugural episode. First of all, I want to say that it's funny that you use the word puppy when you talked about putting something in a
1: freezer. Oh god! At least I wasn't <laughs> talking about putting it in a microwave. Oh Ooh. dear, that's a story for another day. Woof
0: um for the record though our support is not real (laughs) we do not have sponsors yet but we figure it's only a matter of time maybe you don't have to tell them that no no i do (laughs) i have a guilty
1: conscience (laughs) all joking aside we're not here to talk about mave's guilty conscience. We are here to talk about people, though. Maeve and I love talking to people. We've been friends for a few years, and it's kind of just what we do. We drill people with questions. It's kind of always like an informal 20 questions, and we're sitting in front of someone. Um, sometimes it makes them uncomfortable, but we do it out of a very genuine place of wanting to know where people come from, what their story is. It's all out of love. It's all out of love, Um and then we realize that it's kind of just as simple as buying a microphone online and downloading the newest version of GarageBand. So here we go.
2: I think everyone should be a feminist. A feminist is just wanting equal stuff. Like I wish yeah, it yes. didn't have the negative connotation that people like. You know, they think like it has to be you know female supremacy. Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm a ballsy lady, I'm gonna, you yeah. know, fight for, yeah. I, I don't know, it's just people yeah. have, like, crazy ideas about it.
1: This is Jill. Jill grew up in Tampa, Florida, a place she describes as famous for strip clubs and lightning strikes. And the birthplace of Hooters.
2: Growing up, I wanted, I'll give you, like, the quick, I wanted to be an architect. So, okay. well, I, I knew I wanted to do something creative, but, like, a real career, you know? So it was yeah. like, oh, that's, an architect could be that thing, and... I appreciated architecture and I um, I spent a few semesters studying architecture. Mm. And I was like decent at it and it was like real cutthroat and competitive and I um, I wasn't that into it into the long hours and stuff like I liked it but it wasn't like some people were just so passionate about architecture and they didn't care that it was Friday night and they were in the architecture studio yeah. and not like going out and getting drunk with their friends. Yeah. I hated that part. So, <laughs> yeah. I liked. so then I switched to business just so I could graduate.
1: And then everything changed. The direction she was heading in was not typical for most Florida business majors with an interest in architecture. Jill graduated and she left Florida behind. She was headed to New York.
0: at one place since her job ended last May. She had one employer for a whopping 13 years. The man who signed her checks is the same man who would throw television sets from a 14-story window on West 53rd Street. The man who once pit a fight between a humidifier and a dehumidifier on network television. The man who, until last May, had been extending the longest-running talk show in television history, Mr. David Letterman.
2: From
1: New York-
0: His late night show in 1983, Revolutionizing Comedy. He made it okay to be weird, smart, and offbeat. He's known for his antics.
1: Hi, I'm Dave. Hi. like working for McDonald's? Yes. Do you enjoy the food? Yes.
0: Really? Yes. Really? Yes. Has the shake machine ever gone nuts and killed a guy? His celebrity interviews.
1: New York City's exciting, though, isn't
0: it? I was born here, yeah.
1: Yeah, good for you. Uh, how'd you like being in jail? Uh- <laughs>
0: but mostly his bone-chilling humor. But as everyone knows, behind every good late night host is a room of a dozen or so vitamin D deficient writers who have mastered his voice. That's right. Today,
1: Jill refers to him as Dave. Like we said, she's humble. Jill went on to become one of the eight female writers in the history of Letterman. This is her story.
2: older brother is really funny, Mm -hmm. um, and so I was always trying to make them laugh, Mm -hmm. and, um, and my mom's always, like, an easy laugh, so she was easy to make laugh, and then, but it would be really something to make my dad or my brother, you know, laugh, and, um, and, you know, I had, like, a, a little, I guess, a little, like, not an actual stand-up act, but, like, we'd go places my dad would be like, tell them the five jokes you know, you know? (laughs) And it'd be like, why do cows wear bells? And it's like, because their horns don't work. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I think that was the first joke I ever told. And so it was stuff like that where I'm like, I liked, you know, being funny and having people laugh and laughing at other people's jokes and stuff. So that was, uh, you know, I definitely remember kind of being a fan of that. And when I was younger, I loved Letterman and always watched the show, which is the reason I tried to intern there. Okay. But I interned in the finance department because I was a business major. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, I was like I was so happy to be working at the late show, but I was like cutting checks.
0: One of the coolest things about Jill, though, is that she started her career at Letterman as a finance intern. And then she moved around. She became a receptionist and then an assistant to the executive producers.
2: But it wasn't until I worked at Late Show for a couple of years and saw that other staffers were writing for the top 10 and submitting, like our mailroom guy Tom was writing for the top 10 oh, that's awesome. and um, like submitting, maybe submitting monologue jokes too, I can't remember. But that's when I was like, oh, you can do this? Like I can, because I work here, I can try to write jokes and then that's how it came about and all of a sudden I was just kind of there. By then I was assistant to the executive producers and just like quietly, you know, writing jokes. And then once people found out, they were very supportive and you should try more, you know, you should show us what you got and that kind of thing. And then, and then it kind of became tangible. It was like, I'm here. I have access to it, I should try. Like, I didn't know if it was gonna work or if anyone was gonna be receptive or they were gonna be like, We read some of your jokes, stop, you know? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> please, please, just, we beg you. Right, please just go back to answering the phones and taking messages and please don't make us read anymore. So, <laughs> they probably thought that about a lot of times, but <laughs> they were nice enough not to say anything. And so that's kind of how it happened. Like, I never, it's not something I attempted to do because it seems so far-fetched.
0: We thought it was pretty crazy that Jill never really considered writing before that, but instead just sort of fell into this amazing role that she actually happened to be really good at. Her secret jokes started causing quite a stir among some pretty big wigs at the show, and they loved her. Important people thought she was funny. Here's one of her jokes that aired later, but that we still love a lot. Well, there's a, uh, an Italian restaurant closing, Sabaro. Are you familiar with Sabaro? Yeah, of course. I was very sad to hear this. I, I think everybody really enjoys Italian food. Oh. Sabaro, oh, yeah. one reason or another, going out of business. Here is the official corporate announcement from the Sabaro people. Okay. Take a look.
1: Sabaro has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. While we're Sabari for the Shabort notice, <laughs> we must close our least successful locations. <laughs> Our customers are special to us, <laughs> and we sincerely hope you visit us at our remaining shopping mall doors tomorrow. <laughs> we thank you for your loyal support.
2: Once the head writers saw me writing, got to be friends with them, and then they hired me as the writer's assistant. So then mm-hmm. I was like, all of a sudden, in the world, and you know, working for the writers, mm-hmm. and you know, respecting what they did, and then you know, they were. You know nice enough to um take a look at my stuff and kind of support me and encourage me and then hire you know eventually hired me as a writer so that's yeah it's not i never tried you know <laughs> really trying to write seriously yeah. before that yeah of a writer's room being like really dirty and gross because they've heard of like the old Saturday Night Live writer's rooms and you know people peeing in jars and yeah. smelly guys <laughs> and stuff. I think they've gotten a little more civil even though a lot of them are still compressed. Even though you pee in jars sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean I do that at home but not in front <laughs> of everybody. But like e- even if they're all men or predominantly men I don't think those like those types of rooms necessarily exist exactly like that maybe a little bit and that you know kind of makes them eccentric and fun and you know um but I think they're more civil than people think and you know you have a job to do and a goal to meet and um you know you're still like working but you're also writing comedy so hopefully it is a little silly and zany and you know it should be right yeah um but I think when people think of writers they just think like all hell is breaking loose in there. <laughs> right. and, you know, like you're gonna walk in and get pumped. Well, actually yeah, get pummeled <laughs> in the head with something. I'm like, actually that did happen <laughs> <all> <laughs> times.
0: We asked Jill what it was like to be responsible for being funny every day.
2: So it was stressful every morning and um, but also fun. It's yeah. also very fun hearing what everyone else comes up with for like the same you all are reading the same stories and sometimes you're like oh I wish I would have thought of that and then it's also such a good feeling when someone thinks that way about your stuff Mm -hmm. and um it's like um that was the most stressful part of the day for me plus just learning to pitch stuff out loud in a room and having the confidence to do that which took me a long time because I was never and improviser or a stand-up comedian person so trying to speak in in a room and clearly get my idea out and like have people think it's funny like it is very challenging <laughs> yeah and then after a while it became kind of fun you know after a while you start to not care anymore mm-hmm. if it gets a laugh or if it plays to dead silence if you think it's funny that's the important thing and yeah that was um that was a stressful lesson to learn because yeah. uh it wasn't easy you know like i'm public speaking isn't, you know, my forte. Um, And then it would get stressful during the day if there are like, deadlines and, you know, you know, something that had to be on the show that night because it wouldn't have made sense for the next day, and you're stuck in edit, and you get notes on something, and it's, you know, Dave's got to see it in five minutes, or we have to show so-and-so to get approval, and you know so there was stuff like that every day but a good thing about a daily show is it starts all over the next day mm-hmm. good or bad you know yeah. it's kind of, it was true. it was good if you're you had a terrible terribly stressful day then you know it kind of gets erased the next day mm-hmm. i feel like writers can kind of get away with looking a little schlubbier than what the is average that? person, Because you're like a writer. You're supposed to be like working around the clock and, uh-huh. you know, not caring, you know, not caring how you look. You're so, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't make sense really, but, you know. <laughs> what's the, what's the, the most like it...
0: ridiculous thing you've ever worn to work? Oh,
2: like T-buzz? It... And wool socks? Oh, God, no. You're so from Maine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Do you wear chacos
0: and bean boots?
2: <laughs> no, I've, um like, just ratty tennis shoes and jeans that were probably, like, that had a lot of holes in them that probably weren't acceptable, and, Mm -hmm. like, with a t-shirt and a sweatshirt that maybe should have been washed more recently than (laughs) I probably had (laughs) washed it, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, I don't know, every now and then I'd go through, like, a month phase where I'm, like, I'm gonna start dressing like an adult, like a lady, you know, and then that, yeah, (laughs) that that can only last, yeah, 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 so... But What's I,
1: the most, like, absurd thing you've seen worn in the writer's
2: room? <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, um, I mean, you know Joe Grossman, Julie. Mm-hmm. So Joe was like, one of the late show's most talented writers. And um, he had a uniform, which was either, like, a brown shirt with a brown hoodie and brown pants and brown shoes. <laughs> and, he wore, and sometimes it would be, like, a dark green hoodie yeah. but then it, it was always some combination of green and brown or maybe black but it was bit, like it was a uniform almost yeah. Yeah. so yeah, yeah, yeah. it was kind of like oh if joe got a new hoodie it was like oh you got a new brown hoodie you know, it was like <laughs> the same thing so it eliminates um, the choices you yeah. have to make and then like so, mike leach would wear stuff that he got for free and <laughs> you know from the wardrobe department so people would be like, oh, where'd you get that? And he'd be like, on um, the seventh floor. Of the <laughs> this is the creative process, and it's
1: done in quirky outfits. Writers laugh at themselves, and they laugh at other people's ideas. But ultimately, their goal is to make the man in charge happy. Right. Because by
2: showtime,
0: the jokes are Letterman's.
2: He was very funny, because I used to take have to take, and writer's assistant, actually. Um, I used to have to take papers to his office for him to, like, jokes to read. And sometimes I would, like, press the buzzer to his office and instead of his assistant's answering, he would answer and try to do, like, a funny voice on the phone and be like, who is this? And I was like, Jill. And he's like, Jill who? I don't know any Jill. I'm like, Jill who works upstairs, who brings you these papers every single day. (laughs) And then I would hear Mary in the background going, just let her in, you know? (laughs) Stop screwing around, just let her in. so he would let me in, but then sometimes he would hold his hand out for the papers but like hold his hand flat and sideways so uh, uh, so they can see me now but like you, so not in a way where you could give papers but you'd have to like physically st- <laughs> like stick the paper in between fingers that are like held together like yeah. glue
0: despite his antics everyone knew he was always the first one to the office and the last one to leave
2: and and sometimes we'd send scripts in and then a lot of times he'd change a bunch of things, which is always what you wanted, because in a million years you would have never written thought of what he would have written, but it was always much funnier mm-hmm. than what any of us would have written. You know, it was like, like, um, some, you know, weeks would go by and he was either like yes or no on certain scripts but when he would actually take the time you know you know even if there was scribble all over it you would know that he was like somewhat invested in that in that huh. piece then and you know him changing a bunch of things around was almost like yeah I want him to do that you yeah. know yeah. so it means he cares yeah yeah
1: room was notorious for being filled with young, white men. In the 80s, the Harvard Lampoon, the university's prestigious humor publication, graduated nearly a dozen of these men straight into Letterman's camp. These men went on to create iconic sketches that skyrocketed Letterman to success. This is the world that Jill stepped into.
2: Um, sometimes, yes, It and I think it would have been nice to, um, have you know have some more females and i feel like a lot of shows they're like well we have one you know men yeah. yeah. our quota our, our token right our token <laughs> female which is <laughs> which is sad but they're also not very diverse in other ways either yeah. so it's like a lot of white dudes still in yeah. a lot of rooms um yeah. and uh yeah, sometimes like even though even though the, the writers are great and stuff, it still is a different dynamic being all you know. If you get all women in the room and one guy, you know, if you, yeah. it's gonna be kind of the same thing. They're you know. Um, so yeah, it would. Let's just say it would have been nice to have a more diverse room. And I always say I think rooms are like slowly going that way but it's just slow (laughs) slow. yeah i think they're gonna get there and Mm -hmm. um and also i would like writers rooms to start taking it upon themselves to to kind of make the diversity happen rather than waiting until they get in trouble for not being more diverse and then like oh crap we've got to fix it you know Um, I think they should make it diverse from the get-go because I think it makes, you know, your audience is diverse and, um, I think it, you know, because it makes the room better, not because you have to do it.
0: You may have noticed that we very purposely started this episode with Jill describing herself as a feminist. The odds were stacked against her. She came from far away. She studied business. She didn't look like most of Letterman's writers. In fact, she never set out to write comedy. But this woman must have just been really good, and now Jill sits before us, having blazed her own trail—a champion of female empowerment.
2: There, the the show was run by a lot of strong women, and so when I was the assistant to the executive producers, I worked for two really great women, Jude and Jude um, Brennan and Barbara Gaines, mm-hmm. and um, they really empowered me, and um, you know. And, and other women worked around them as well, so it kind of felt like, you know, a great supportive environment, you know, because I hear a lot of stories about, oh, my boss is a w- woman, but she kind of keeps me down. She doesn't, you know, no. you know, she's not, like, girl power. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, a I'm competitive. A, right, it's, it gets competitive, and luckily I haven't experienced something like that um, because I, you know, I kind of do think women should, you know encourage each other and you know especially uh, like a boss assistant relationship but um yeah i mean being one out of however many guys we had one out of 15 you know (laughs) just sheer numbers alone felt like a minority you know they were they were great and they you know to their credit they also thought the room should be more diverse um oh yeah yeah so it wasn't like I was working with a bunch of guys who thought I shouldn't be there, you right, know. yeah, if right. anything, they thought probably there should be more females, but, um, but it was, it was, uh, I didn't, you know, it was just obvious that there weren't more women. It wasn't, um, that I was treated like a minority or, or I, you know, I was treated any differently. And, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, I hope it was just, you know you know, they, my jokes were seen as equal to, to theirs. Yeah. So.
1: And is that kind of what that network is that you formed outside of work of other creative women in comedy in New York? Is that what that's about? Women raising each other up and supporting each yep. other? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Let's and hear about that. <laughs> about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, uh, a, a friend, um, you know, a friend of mine who used to work at show just, realized she knew a bunch of people in different fields and um in entertainment or marketing or you know different yeah. and she realized a lot of them were kind of um i was gonna say complaining not complaining but kind of they 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 shared similar More. struggles yeah in, in the workplace and you know dealing with, um, raises or coworkers or being the only female who's, you know, in charge of 50 employees and, you know, kind of dealing with that. So, um, she kind of started this thing where we just get together a few times a year, but, um, you know, if someone, if someone has a struggle, they can email, uh, you know, the group, and we're there to support. If someone is looking for a job, we're there to pass along information. Right. Um, if someone does something wonderful, which, you know, a lot of times is usually the case because there's a lot of talented women, um, uh-huh. then we're, we're there to kind of cheer each other on. So it's, it's been a great source of, uh, you know, inspiration, and just seeing that there's, you know, a lot of ladies out there doing amazing things. Are they just
1: within entertainment comedy is it exclusive to that or is it a wide range?
2: Um It's mo- it's mostly comedy and entertainment. Cool. But there's some you know, there's someone who is like a badass at her marketing advertising firm and mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of it started with one person and it just kind of like girls she knows. Yeah. Um and just like about like feminist Mhm. Do you guys yeah. have a name? Uh, I actually don't know if I'm allowed to say it. Really? <laughs> yeah, we're pretty, like, underground. Pretty secretive. <laughs> pretty secretive. <Okay. laughs> oh, man.
1: It's
2: a big deal. <laughs> Julie and I will come up with our own name Yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah, Um, No, we'll, um, we'll do it in post-production. <laughs> Our, our sticker might be on. um... You guys have a sticker. Might be on Alana's computer in Broad City, though. Oh, snap. So that's that's your hint. So we can sniff it out. <laughs> right, that's an excuse to rewatch a, the <laughs> <a> <laughs> entire season. Do a voiceover. It's so. It's so. <laughs> really loud. Like, yeah. It's. It's she. I wouldn't mind saying the name <laughs> and shouting it from the rooftops, but they, uh, the, like, it's kind of like Fight Club.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put a lot
2: of glazers in it. Uh, so How many cool. people are in it? Like 30 or so? Wow. Whoa. I feel like I'm going to get in trouble for... Oh, no. Okay. Wait,
1: well... well then from we'll... our many
2: viewers, I mean,
1: many <laughs> listeners. Something. We'll move Kids on to um, dead, a much much simpler question. Um, <laughs> do you consider yourself a feminist? yeah yeah awesome
2: I mean I think (laughs) I I think everyone should be a feminist okay feminist is just wanting equal stuff like I wish it didn't have the negative connotation that people like you know they think like it has to be you know female supremacy yeah yeah like I'm a ballsy lady I'm gonna you know fight for I I don't know it's just people have like crazy ideas about it yeah everyone should be equal what's the big fucking deal I know it's such
1: a dirty word yeah
2: But I think, and and a lot of um, popular female stars of the day don't want to associate with the word, which I think is totally their own prerogative, but I think if just more people said, like, yeah, we should. Like, Aziz Ansari is a huge feminist. Yeah. And says amazing things (laughs) about, you know, he's like, it's so stupid, why wouldn't everyone be a feminist? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: it just need the definition out there is yeah. really all that needs to happen but
1: yeah, when but all these ho- high profile women uh, identify themselves as, as humanists mm-hmm. i tr- like i get upset but i try not to get upset do you think that do you think they should be calling themselves feminists do you think that somebody i think fits? i mean
2: i don't have like a you know a huge um, a career that i'm trying to cultivate and to you know, I don't know what comes along with like fame and what mm-hmm. they could be losing out on by proclaiming themselves as feminists. So there may be a lot that goes into their decision yeah. not to want to associate right. with it. I don't right. know what those things would be. Yeah. But um I I think that and maybe like too if they say it then all their interviews are gonna be like tell us about you being a feminist and they want to be known for just being funny or smart or, you know, not being like a funny woman or, you know, doing all these things for, which I can totally see where it gets complicated. But, um, but I just don't, I also don't Mm -hmm. understand why you wouldn't just say, of course I, you know, it's been hard for women for a lot of years to break through things. So why wouldn't I come out and say that I want, you know, equality for men and women yeah and yeah. yeah you could say you're a humanist but you can also say you're a feminist right, right. <laughs> um right. so I you know I don't think it's a dirty word like I think you know I think there should be a word for what guys have been doing for you know like manist I don't know <laughs> oh for, for like the patriarchy <laughs> yeah. right Or like helping each other and pulling each other you know it's yeah yeah and, you know, you know they, I think people think f- feminists are anti-men, and that's not the case. No, not at so, all. Yeah. yeah, you
0: can attest to that. You worked with a
2: ton of yeah. <laughs> men, that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's so true. So, yeah. I, and actually, before my ladies' group, I, I never really thought of myself as a feminist, and never thought about it, and never really realized i was the only woman working on a male dominated floor it, uh-huh. like it didn't really cross my mind but uh-huh. until friends came and said like oh this is actually important that you pay attention to you know that you're being treated equally it's actually it's yeah. important for you to recognize other women who might be going through the same, you know, and kind of made it more of a, like, oh, a responsibility yeah Yeah, than just, um, something that I'd never really thought of before. Yeah.
0: Right. You've been funneled into,
2: like, this female role model role all of a sudden. Yeah, which I don't, I, um, and I never, I probably, if you asked me, like, ten years ago, I probably would have been, like, I'm not a feminist, I, I would, but, you know, once you, like, learn a little bit more and, um you know i think you do kind of realize the that there's a little bit of an obligation there mm-hmm.
1: Us. and thank you to Aji Keller for creating our original score a near impossible feat as the only prerequisites we gave him were jazz hands and finally thank you to our listeners we really appreciate your support and we hope that you enjoyed our first episode
0: to find out more about who we are what we're doing and what's coming up follow us on instagram at overwaterpodcast or on twitter at our handle overwaterpod Shout out to our social media coordinators, Shaw O'Leary and Sam Kirkman, for keeping us popular on the social networks. If you have any ideas for our next guest, email us at overwaterpodcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com, and we'll do our best. I'm Maeve. And I'm Julie. And you've been listening
1: to Overwater. <laughs> nice!
0: Wait, that was it? We didn't have that much more?